in every country. You know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We provide full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with new developments in the field of arboriculture. Luana Vargas is a producer of this series at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, and I am Dr. Tom Smiley, the host of Science of Arboriculture at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's talk is by Dr. Wes Watson, who is an entomologist with North Carolina State University. He will be speaking on ticks and tick-borne diseases. This is an important topic for the safety of tree workers, arborists, and their clients. While Dr. Watson focuses his discussion on North Carolina, the ticks and their diseases can be found in many parts of the United States. Dr. Watson's original presentation was made at the ISA Southern Chapter Conference in March 2010. All right, thank you uh, for inviting me. I am a, um, I'm a veterinary entomologist, so I work almost specifically with uh, animal-borne diseases, but I also concentrate, I teach in uh, uh, medical entomology, so I deal with all of the human diseases that can also be carried by, uh, by insects and ticks. And so uh, I guess one of the, the big questions is, what do you need to know about ticks? And one is that, in, that, is that, is that ticks are not insects. Tick-borne disease, I'll talk about the major players in North Carolina today and why you need to know it uh, fundamentally is that I bet there's not a single person in this room that's not been bitten by an arthropod, a tick or a mosquito or something like that. So that's what we'll be going over over the next uh, 30 minutes. Uh, ticks are not insects. They have eight legs. Insects all have six legs. They come in an interesting group uh, of, uh, of Acarina. They're in a group called the Parasitiformes. And uh, there's one group that is that's called the Ar- Argacidae, uh, seen right right up there. The Argacidae are soft ticks, and they fundamentally look like an eight-legged raisin. They do swell up and they smooth out a little bit, but when they're when they're dried up and uh, have digested their blood meals, uh, they look basically like a raisin. The ones that are most important for us are the hard ticks in the family Exodidae. Uh, we have four genera that are a problem. There's the dermacenter, the amblyoma, the exodes, and the ripicephalus. Ripicephalus is really more than anything a parasite of, uh, of animals uh, and causes some disease in, in livestock. I won't be going into much detail on those at all. Okay, these are four common ticks in North Carolina. Uh, we've got up here in the upper picture right here, this is a male and female American dog tick. The male, you will notice in the first picture here, uh, kind of has a hardened shield that covers his entire back, covers him up completely. The female, which is right next to, the, to him, uh, has only a partial shield. It only comes back just about a little less than halfway on her back, 
And the reason for that is that the uh, posterior portion of the tick, uh, the female tick, is kind of a leathery integument that allows her to swell up with blood. And that's why a female tick can get so huge when they're fully engorged. You'll also notice that that tick, uh, the American dog tick, has relatively short mouth parts. Uh, so they don't go deeply into the skin. Ripucephalus, uh, right here, this is the brown dog tick. Similar short mouth parts. Uh, that shield is also present on the male going all the way back and only partially back on, on the female. Now the other two tick is the lone star tick, as indicated by that uh, white spot on the female's back. That, uh, uh, the male is seen right here, also has a shield. You'll also notice that the mouth parts on that particular tick are uh, much longer than the American dog tick, and that's because that tick can uh, insert into the skin and feed much more deeply than uh, the American dog tick. And this one here, the black-legged tick, this is the tick that vectors Lyme disease. Uh, the male is very dark relative to the female because his shield is much darker and it's not ornamented. Uh, the female, the shield comes back only part way and you'll also see very long mouth parts on that female. Um, humans are just incidentally bitten by ticks. Ticks fundamentally have evolved a parasitic relationship with wildlife. All ticks require a blood meal. Uh, to complete their life cycle, and that blood meal allows them to grow and molt from stage to stage. It also allows the female to reproduce and, uh, and generate an, an egg mass. Since humans are just incidentally infected or uh, infested by, by ticks, uh, we have a lot of variable reactions. A lot of individuals like myself, when I'd gotten into uh, some seed ticks here in North Carolina, I had a very, very severe reaction. Uh, I had about 125 uh, bites on my, on my ankle and leg and uh, it becomes pyritic, you get a lot of oozing associated with it, and the itching is furious. My wife, on the other hand, has no reactions at all. Um, if you scratch, as a lot of people will do because it does itch so much, you can get a secondary infection uh, that can also cause problems. Occasionally, when you get a tick bite, you can get a disease. Uh, Lyme disease, seen over here, uh, causes a rash at the uh, site of the bite. Uh, the medical term for that rash is erythema migrans, and that's because it looks somewhat like a bullseye. So you have these rings. Uh, you'll have a darkened red ring uh, surrounding a whiter ring and then another darkened red ring in the center. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, uh, the rash is an ascending rash. It usually starts at the hands and the wrists and the feet and the ankles and moves up the body until the body is, uh, uh, becomes uh, speckled uh, with, a, with a, uh, the rash itself. Now the pathogens that are associated with ticks are the rickettsia. Uh, rickettsial infections is, is caused by an intracellular bacterium that invades uh, the different cells in the body. In the case of Rocky Mountain spotted fever, the pathogen invades the lining of the vascular system. So it's inside of our, our capillaries and our blood vessels. It invades those uh, uh, vessels and it causes them to leak and as they leak, that's why we get the spots. The spots are actually blood leaking out of our capillaries into the skin itself. Generalized symptoms include fever, nausea, vomiting, headache, and muscle pain. Ehrlichiosis 
is another disease, and it is also a rickettsia. It's a different species of bacterium. It invades the white blood cells. Uh, it causes those white blood cells to lice, and they break apart. Symptoms are pretty much the same as Rocky Mountain spotted fever, except the rash is only an occasional phenomena. Both of these diseases are treated with antibiotics routinely, doxycycline or something like that. The other pathogen that's in the state are Borrelia infections, and a Borrelia is a spirochete. It's also a bacterium that looks somewhat like a corkscrew or maybe a, a coil, a spool of wire that's been uncoiled. It uh, invades the skin and the nervous system of the victim and muscles as well and, uh, and joints. Lyme disease is a Borrelia, and also star eye. Star eye stands for Southern Tick Associated Rash Illness. Both of those diseases are also treated with antibiotics. Uh, prognosis is really good if you're treated early. If you're not treated early and you delay that a long time, getting over Lyme disease is a, is a very arduous task. Symptoms usually appear in two to 14 days. Rocky Mountain spotted fever can be fatal. Uh, mortality of about 11.7% in the 30 to 39 year old age class. And most often the males are involved because they're the ones that are outside uh, often getting exposed to the ticks themselves. Ehrlichiosis has about a 5% mortality rate. Uh, fatalities usually occur when there's a lack of uh, of known tick exposure, no rash, and gastrointestinal involvement. And then Lyme disease is not a fatal disease, but is debilitating. It often results in lasting arthritic conditions, um, uh, a crippling disease. Uh, symptoms include a rash and Bell's palsy. This slide here shows you the uh, frequency of Lyme symptoms that are out there. 68%, this is from the Centers for Disease Control. If you want to see some interesting things, you should go to their website. It's the government website, cdc.gov. You can find out anything about any disease in the, in the whole country. 68% uh, of the victims that have, been, uh, that have contracted Lyme disease uh, develop the rash, the erythema migrans. 33% uh, develop arthritis, and 8% develop Bell's palsy. Uh, Bell Bell's palsy is a, uh, a phenomena in which half of your face is somewhat paralyzed and the other half functions normally, so you have a kind of a lopsided smile. Since 2000, we've had this dramatic increase in Rocky Mountain spotted fever in the state of North Carolina. It has just gone through the roof. Uh, reported cases of Lyme disease, you may have seen uh, just recently, I believe it was last week, uh, that the newspaper reported that Lyme disease is now endemic in North Carolina. Uh, that, is, uh, that is now true. We had a real spike in, the, uh, in cases of Lyme disease uh, since, uh, since 2000. It really shot up through the roof, uh, human cases of it. Here we also have... Uh, Ehrlichiosis, there are two forms of ehrlichiosis, have also popped up uh, quite a bit more here in North Carolina in recent years. So uh, North Carolina is kind of a hotbed of these uh, 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 three diseases these days. There is kind of a, uh, a, a, an ecological phenomena associated with disease that all of these things come together and uh, uh, 
promote infections. But you have to have the four basic factors. You've got to have a suitable environment uh, for the disease. You've got to have available hosts. Uh, you've got to have the vector. In this case, it's going to be the ticks. And you also have to have the, popu- the, the pathogen itself. It's interesting when you think about the tick population, usually only 1% or 2% of the tick population actually have the pathogen. So it's pretty rare that, uh, that, that you would become infected if you had a tick uh, feed on you. But if you have an abundance of ticks, that percentage goes up and the likelihood of you encountering an uh, infected tick uh, uh, becomes greater. Why are ticks such eff- efficient vectors? One is that they are environmentally tolerant. Each stage feeds on a different host. Uh, They feed on a number of wildlife species. They feed for long periods of time. They consume large volumes of blood. They are long-lived insects, and they often transmit pathogens transovarially. So what does that mean? It means basically that if an adult female tick uh, has acquired a pathogen and it, uh, it fully engorged, she drops to the ground, she lays her eggs, those eggs hatch, they're already infected. She passed that disease onto her offspring, and, uh, and that does occur in a fair number of the tick diseases. This is the generalized life cycle of a, of a tick. Uh, we have a photograph up here at the top of a, uh, of a female tick laying a clutch of eggs. She'll produce anywhere from 100 to 18,000 eggs in one egg laying. Uh, Here's an egg mass right here. Those eggs usually hatch in about uh, four weeks after they've been laid. Uh, When the the egg hatches, the first stage is the larva, seen right there. And that is actually a six-legged stage of the tick. Uh, Those are seed ticks for us that uh, have run into them in North Carolina. That's the six-legged form of it. They then take a blood meal. They'll take a blood meal from an animal right in here. Uh, They molt, become a nymph which is eight-legged. They take another blood meal right in this area here. They molt, uh, and they become an adult. And then that adult uh, then uh, uh, takes another blood meal before the cycle is completed. Generally, a tick's life cycle takes one to two years, depending upon the number of available hosts out there. The overwintering stage of ticks varies uh, among the tick species. Uh, The American dog tick, which is the vector of Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, overwinters as an adult and as larvae, the six-legged form of the tick. Uh, The lone star tick uh, overwinters as as a nymph and an adult. And the black-legged tick, the vector of of Lyme disease, overwinters as a larva and as an adult. We usually see an increase in the numbers of adults uh, showing up on animals uh, during the winter months. So basically, this is the life cycle again. Starts out with the eggs up at the top. Those eggs uh, hatch. The seed ticks found here uh, hatch out. They, They feed on lizards, birds, and rodents. Uh, they then uh, molt, they cycle around, they become a nymph, they feed on lizards, birds, and rodents again, they molt, they become an adult, the adult then feeds on deer and other large animals, and then they drop off, the female drops off and lays her eggs. And this is the life cycle, it's about a two-year life cycle, and this is for the black-legged tick, uh, which is the vector of of, uh, Lyme disease.
Now, these are common wildlife that uh, ticks in North Carolina feed upon, and this is actually where they get the pathogens. Um, in the case of the American dog tick, which carries Rocky Mountain spotted fever, they pick up the pathogen from white-footed mouse, uh, uh, usually possibly a raccoon, uh, but usually it's the white-footed mouse, which is the uh, uh, food source for the larvae and the nymph. It can also be transoverally transmitted to them, so the, uh, uh, the eggs can actually hatch already infected. Uh, then when they become an adult, they feed on either raccoons or dogs, typically. The lone star tick, on the other hand, uh, feeds on birds, gray squirrels, uh, raccoons, dogs, and deer. And the lone star tick is the, is the vector of, uh, of ehrlichiosis, which it picks up from deer populations, and we have an abundance of deer in North Carolina. Uh, the black-legged tick uh, in the larval stage feeds on skink, seen right here, birds and white-footed mouse. Typically, it picks up the pathogen from the white-footed mouse. And then in the adult stage, it feeds on, adult, uh, on dogs and, and deer. Here's a picture showing all of the different life stages of the various ticks. The Lone Star Tick, uh, seen right there, we've got uh, uh, seed ticks, nymphs. There's the seed tick right there, there's the nymph right there, and then adults right in here. And it gives you an idea of the relative size of all of, all of those. Here's an interesting photograph for you. You know, a lot of people talk about the size of uh, black-legged ticks or deer ticks. Uh, this is in a comparison between the American dog tick, which is a very large tick. It's about four millimeters in length right here. And right above it is the black-legged tick. And you can see that it's only about two millimeters in length. So the adult tick uh, of the black-legged tick is much, much smaller than the American dog tick. Here's American dog tick relative to a dime. Uh, and there's all the life stages of the black-legged tick over, over there as well. Uh, the Lone Star tick is the most abundant tick we have in North Carolina, and this is the one that's a real nuisance for, uh, for most of us. All life stages, those, the seed tick, uh, the nymph, and the adult, uh, attack humans. How do you protect yourself? Personal protection is absolutely essential. Uh, you can also protect yourself by using local application of acaricides uh, around the home or in the landscape. Uh, landscape management is very helpful. Uh, host exclusion is very helpful. And targeted, uh, host targeted uh, uh, caricides are also very helpful. I'll go into those in the next couple of minutes. Uh, protect yourself from ticks. Use an approved flea and tick product for your pets at home. Uh, your pets coming into the house are going to be bringing these, these ticks into the home, and you should uh, uh, do the best you can to keep them out of the home uh, by treating your pets. Keep weeds and grass uh, mowed. Uh, layer your clothing when you go out. Wear light-colored clothing because that allows you to see the, see the ticks on your body. Use an insect repellent on your clothing and on exposed skin. Often you will see that uh, if you go to an, uh, an outdoors store or something like that, you can buy a spray that you, uh, that's a permethrin-based spray that you can spray on your clothing. It is very effective in, uh, in keeping ticks off of your body. It's a very low concentration, uh, and it works really well. Uh, you can use 
uh, normal mosquito repellent like any DEEP product or some of the newer products like Picaridin or uh, uh, a Bio-UD, which is an organic product uh, out there, are very effective in keeping ticks off the skin. You don't want to apply permethrin to your skin. That's, uh, that, that, that's uh, not labeled for that use. And then, of course, check yourself for ticks uh, every day that you're out. Uh, you should remove ticks as promptly as possible. Uh, Dermacenter variabilis, the American dog tick, transmits Rocky Mountain spotted fever within 24 hours. If, you, if a tick has been on you for 10 to 24 hours and it was infected, you're infected. Lyme disease, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Uh, Lyme disease is transmitted in about 24 hours. So if you were to remove the tick that carried Lyme disease from your body, uh, uh, within that 24-hour time period, you will not become infected. Um, adults generally take some time before they, they can attach. They usually walk around your body. Uh, Lone Star ticks, for example, will test periodically. Uh, they will try to bite three or four times before they finally find a place that they really uh, can attach and hang on. Uh, you should try to remove uh, the tick uh, uh, as close to the skin as possible by pulling it away from the skin. This is the, uh, the mouth parts of the tick right here. Uh, these structures that you see right here usually go horizontal to the skin, and they insert this structure here called the hypostome all the way into the skin, and that's where they uh, disrupt the tissues. What makes them difficult to remove? Often, if you pull a tick off of a dog or something like that, you get a chunk of skin comes with it, and that's because the cement has uh, anchored the tick's mouth parts right into the skin. So if you want to remove the tick, uh, you should use forceps to do so. Grasp the tick near the head and gradually pull it away from the skin. Uh, you can use uh, tissue to protect your fingertips, and the reason we say that is that by squashing the tick, uh, you can also release pathogen onto your skin, and if you've got cuts or anything like that on your skin, the pathogen can actually enter your skin. So you shouldn't crush the tick if, you, if, if at all possible. So protecting your fingertips is a very good thing to try to do. Application of caustic materials usually kills the tick and actually makes it a little more difficult to remove. And sometimes when you're trying to remove those, you'll leave, you'll leave some of the tick tissues uh, in your skin it's, itself. So there's a variety of things that have been out there to uh, try to get ticks off of your skin. All right, local control. Uh, application of acaricides. Um, we have uh, uh, these usually require that you saturate the ground uh, with an acaricide uh, from surface to soil, uniform distribution of granules. Uh, you need to treat areas where the risk is pretty high. Uh, you should survey for ticks by dragging. Uh, dragging is, ba is basically having a cloth that you pull across the ground. Uh, on strings, you drag it across the ground, and then you can pick it up and look at it, and you'll see that the ticks are attached to it. And that's usually a good indication that, that you need to go in and, uh, and possibly treat the area. Uh, you need to retreat when ticks come back into the area, and, uh, and they will do that because they move about pretty much on wildlife. Uh, some of the limitations of using uh, this kind of a strategy is that you're going to need water. Uh, so that you should have a water source that you can prepare the spray material. 
and control is usually temporary, uh, two to four weeks because of the reinfestation potential with ticks. Uh, here we show some diagrams showing some spraying of a, of a woodland area uh, near a park uh, where uh, the ticks could be coming out of the wooded area and going into a parkland area. Uh, here we've got a granular application so that when uh, the ticks would move out of the brushy area into the short grass area, uh, they would encounter the insecticide at that point. The caricides that are available include uh, bifenthrin, Bifenthrin, which is Telstar, uh, Cyfluthrin, which is very common on the market, uh, Tempo, it's a Bayer product, and Permethrin, uh, ortho products that are out there. Uh, the Permethrin is actually the same insecticide, just a lower concentration of material that you would spray on your clothing. Uh, this is a much higher concentration of material that is toxic for ticks. The other things that you can do is uh, physically remove the, the uh, weeds and brush. Uh, that, uh, uh, that, that uh, protect the ticks. If, when conditions are dry, as pretty much seen in this picture as well, uh, it stresses the ticks, causes them to die of desiccation. Humid, moist conditions actually keep the ticks going longer. They last a lot longer if it's humid and, and moist. Uh, landscape management, uh, create a, a canopy open to the sunlight. You can uh, uh, create a barrier of bare soil or ground cover using stones, pine bark, uh, things like that between the lawn and the woodland area. Here's a before and after picture where you've got lots of brush understory uh, that, that protects the ticks. Uh, by clearing that all out, opening up the canopy a little bit, you're going to reduce the, the survival of ticks in that particular area. Here we've got uh, uh, the barrier put in. Uh, here's a stone barrier seen right there between the woodland, uh, the woodlot, and the uh, and, and the lawn area. White-tailed deer are the preferred host of Lone Star ticks. Uh, almost all of our parks, a lot of our yards, a lot of our residential areas uh, have populations alone of uh, of uh, white-tailed deer in them. Uh, these deer are fundamentally taxis for the for the tick themselves. Uh, they bring the tick into your lawn. Uh, the tick drops off of the animal, and then uh, and it lays its its eggs in in the yard area, and they maintain the infestation. So basically, uh, if you uh, kind of limit uh, the the uh, deer, you're able to uh, reduce the potential of being exposed uh, to these uh, uh, to the Lone Star tick. Installing a deer-proof fence is very helpful. Seen here, very tall fence. Uh, uh, where they have been installed, we have seen substantial reduction uh, in tick populations over, uh, over time. Area-wide management. This is a USDA study that was done uh, in Texas originally and it since expanded to the northeast. Uh, this is called a four-poster, a kerosene applicator. Uh, it is a, uh, uh, a deer feeder. Fundamentally, it's a deer feeder. Uh, you've got a corn hopper right here, which you dump all the corn in. Uh, the deer come in, and they can access the corn through openings right here. And we've got uh, four paint rollers. Uh, that's the four posts that are there. We have four paint rollers that are treated with permethrin insecticide. Uh, so that when the deer comes in, 
to feed on that. You can see this buck sitting in there. He gets a little bit of insecticide on his ears, and over time that spreads over his body, controlling the ticks. Uh, here's a deer that's uh, been using the four-poster, and you can see how clean the ears are on this animal. And here's the control animal right here, and you can see the thousands of ticks uh, that have been feeding on the ears of, of that particular deer. Uh, it's a highly effective uh, method of reducing ticks, uh, black-legged ticks as well as Lone Star ticks. It requires some preliminary studies to look at your deer abundance and the distribution of these so that you can figure out how many uh, uh, four-posters you need to, to, to put out. Uh, they are expensive. They want about $1,500 a piece for them. Uh, uh, the cost of the insecticide and the corn is minimal. Uh, but maintenance is an issue. You have to have people go back and make sure that they retreat uh, the applicators and, uh, and make sure that they keep, keep it uh, uh, full of corn in order for it to work. So in summary, three ticks are common uh, to North Carolina and they carry disease. These include uh, the Lone Star tick, the American dog tick, and the black-legged tick, they carry Rocky Mountain spotted fever, ehrlichiosis, and Lyme disease. Uh, these ticks acquire the infection from wildlife. You can manage uh, the environment to minimize tick exposure. You need to protect yourself uh, with repellents, and you should examine yourself when you've been outdoors uh, every day uh, for ticks and remove those ticks in order to prevent disease. So with that, uh, we have the tick from television. The tick says, "Time for questions." Yes, sir. Um, one of my one of the guys in my group is white. One of my wife's co-workers has been hit by ticks, and now they're allergic to red meat and pork. Red meat and pork. Yes, three hundred cases in New York, Carolina. Huh? That is news to me. I have never heard that before. That is amazing. So, does anybody know any reason as to why that would develop? Uh, anymore. Huh. Wow. I will look into that. I'm actually talking about ticks in the next couple of weeks in class, so I'll look into that. Thanks for that. Heads up. Any other questions? Yes, sir. About five or six years ago, you were developing an inoculative vaccination for Lyme disease. Yes. Is it out? How effective is it? Yeah, uh, they, they did develop a vaccine for Lyme disease. It was about... Uh, it was running about 80% effective. Um, and so it would, would give you some protection about 80% of the time. And uh, we did a survey of tick specialists in the, uh, at our, our annual meeting of the Society of Vector Ecology. Everybody in the room were tick specialists. Uh, we asked those individuals how many of them had been vaccinated for Lyme disease. And there was not a one in the room had been vaccinated because they all said that they've been able to control Lyme disease by examining themselves every day and that they come in from the field and treating themselves with a repellent and that uh, none of them had, uh, had infections and they had worked with the disease for years. It's a, it's a serious disease if it goes so far that, that treatment no longer is effective. It is a very serious disease. <laughs> This concludes Dr. Wes Watson's talk on ticks and tick-borne diseases. If you would like to learn more about this topic, you can go to the NC State University's 
entomology website to download their publication on ticks and tick-borne diseases, which is Insect Note AG-426. This publication includes the photographs that Dr. Watson was describing in his talk. You can also go to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's website to learn more about ticks and the diseases that they transmit. If you'd like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code is SA6030. Again, SA6030. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.